Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 5, 1 through 15. And this is found on page 974 and 975 in the Pew Bible. If you do not own a Bible, we'd love for you to take the one in front of you as a gift from us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Megan, for uh, reading God's word for us, and thank you as well to Brian um, for giving us a testimony uh, and a heads up for what Freedom Summer is. I have had an opportunity to peek in on Summer uh, Freedom Institute, Freedom Summer Institute, the last couple of years, and I highly recommend it. It is, it is as good as advertised, so uh, if you're interested in any way, uh, go check out the table in the back. Um, I would invite you to, to pray with me this morning. Um, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Paul. I'm an associate pastor here. And, uh, and before we dive into the text that Megan read, uh, let's ask for God's help. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you uh, so much uh, for uh, today. Even with um, the kind of miserable weather, weather, we know that today is your day. And every day is your day, Lord, and every day is a gift from you. Um, but we particularly on Sundays, we pause and we come and we have a rhythm and a routine to gather as a community to remind ourselves and remind one another of the truths uh, of your word. And we, we do that through prayer, through confession, through assurance, through singing songs to one another, through uh, hearing your word preached in a sermon. And so I pray, Father, uh, for this time that I would diminish as you would increase and ask a blessing upon us in your name. Amen. Well, growing up, one of my favorite movies was the animated classic, The Lion King. And if I'm being totally honest, right now, today, in 2018, one of my favorite movies is the animated classic, The Lion King, right? I mean, how can you not love Timon and Pumbaa? Or how can, you not, how can you not have your heart melt when the romance finally buds between Nala and Simba? Can you feel the love tonight? That's right. So our boys, Bevan and Owen, they're three and one, so they're not quite old enough to watch the full movie yet. Some of those scenes with Scar are frightening, y'all. But we have been watching a lot of the songs on YouTube. Bevan's current favorite is I Just Can't Wait to Be King, and so it's been on repeat in our house over the last couple weeks. And as we've listened to it, and really as we've watched it, over and over and over and over and over again... 
something occurred to me about Lion King that hadn't before. The Lion King is about freedom. Freedom. Maybe not exclusively so, but I think you can argue that it's a major and maybe even the central theme of the movie. Just take a look at the beginning of I Just Can't Wait to Be King. I'm gonna be a mighty king, so enemies beware. Well, I've never seen a king or beast with quite so little hair. I'm gonna be the main effect like no king was before. I'm brushing up, I'm looking down, I'm working on my floor. Thus far, a rather uninspiring thing. If you think No one's saying do this Now when I said that No one's saying be there What I meant was No one's saying stop that Don't, don't you don't no realize No one's saying see here Now see here We don't run around all day Well that's definitely out Freedom do it all my way No one's saying stop that no one's saying, see here, free to run around all day, free to do it all my way. Simba imagines a future where he's the king, which in his mind, of course, means that there will be no one able, ever able to tell him no again. Total freedom in his mind. No rules except for the ones he sets. No restrictions, no constraints whatsoever. Freedom. And I wonder if one of the reasons why The Lion King has been so massively successful is because at some level, we can all relate to Simba's quest for freedom. I mean, our stories are not exactly the same. My uncle didn't kill my father to take my place as successor to the throne on Pride Rock, which, if you're worried about spoilers, the movie came out in 94, so <laughs> I don't know what to tell you that that happens. So it's not the same, but in my own way, I want freedom too. Maybe you're with me. Financial freedom, freedom with our time, freedom from worry, freedom from others, freedom from our self-deprecating self-talk, free to be me and free to even be the best version of me. And the Apostle Paul, he knew about this journey for freedom that all of us are on. Because you see, in many ways, the book of Galatians, which we've been studying together over the last few weeks, in so many ways, the book of Galatians is about freedom. There's a reason why we chose that as our image. Freedom. What is it and how do we get it? And Paul introduces the theme of freedom early on in the book, and then he comes back to it at the beginning of chapter 5, which is our passage for this morning that Megan read for us a moment ago. And shockingly, or, or maybe not so much, what Paul says about freedom is just a little bit different than what the Lion King says about freedom. Freedom doesn't come from finally making it to the role of king so that you can set all the rules. And freedom doesn't come from pretending that the rules and the problems don't exist either. Because that's Timon and Pumbaa's Hukuna Matata philosophy, isn't it? It's their problem-free philosophy. They can just kind of ignore everything and the problems melt away and you experience freedom, no worries, no cares. But that's not true freedom. No, what Paul says in Galatians is that true freedom comes only from Jesus. Or I might say it this way, only Jesus can set you truly free. Only Jesus can set you truly free. Now, I know that's a really churchy thing to say. And I might have even lost some of you because of it. 
But this big idea is right there in our passage. You heard Megan read it, Galatians 5, verse 1. Look back at the passage with me. It reads this way, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Only Jesus can set you truly free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're free now because of Jesus, Paul says. So don't go back. Don't return. Don't put the yoke of slavery on again. You're free now. And any other way of living, any other way of living is slavery, even if it feels like freedom. And that last part, that last part is so key for our context. Any other way of living is slavery, even if it feels like freedom. Because see, I imagine some of you might be thinking right now, Paul, I'm free already. I'm already free. What do I need Jesus for? But here's the catch. You might not be as free as you think you are. You might not be as free as you think you are. It's fascinating to me how free we think we've become in our culture. After all, we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, don't we? And really, it seems like we only have two rules left in our culture. Only two. That's it. Not three, not four, not five. There's only two rules. Number one, this is the first rule in our culture. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. That's rule number one, the first great commandment. And rule number two is do no harm. While you're being true to yourself, do that the full way, but just don't do any harm to anyone else. Number one, be true to yourself. Number two, do no harm. Other than that, we're free. No constraints, no boundaries, no other rules. Freedom. But are we really free? Depression, stress, anxiety, all of them are at all-time highs. And so many people that I meet are wandering Our culture's definition of freedom has left them as a ship without a rudder, searching desperately for direction, purpose, meaning. Because what does it even mean to be true to yourself? Which version of myself? 10-year-old Paul? 15-year-old Paul? I I really hope not. That guy was the worst. (laughs) What about 20-year-old Paul? Is it the current version of me? What about future versions of myself? How can I be true to him? I haven't even met him yet. When I was 10, I wanted more than anything to be a professional baseball player. Is, do I have to be true to that? Is that who I am? Well, where does that leave me in life since I can't hit a fastball over 75 miles an hour? I probably could still start for the Royals. <laughs> it's a good joke. It, it really hurts, <laughs> but it's a good joke. <laughs> the truth is that people change, don't we? I think one of the best, advice I, the best piece of advice I ever got about marriage is that I wasn't going to be married to just one woman, and she wasn't going to be just married to one man. I was going to be married to five or six different women, but they'd all be my wife. Right? We change. I'm different now than I was when I was 10, 15, 20. So I guess the counter is, well, be true to yourself. I guess what it means is you have to be true to the current version of yourself. But isn't that exhausting? That sounds exhausting to me. Isn't there a better way? 
Or how about our do no harm rule? I don't want to do any harm. That sounds great. It sounds perfect in theory. But as author and pastor Tim Keller points out, who gets to define what harm is? Who's the final authority on what harm is and isn't? I mean, that's a worthy question, isn't it? Maybe you don't think so. Maybe you think that harm is obvious. It's self-defining. We all know what harm is. But do we? Keller uses, actually, he uses the example of pornography to make his point. He says, one person says that it harms no one for a man to consume pornography privately in his own home. Others counter, however, that pornography will shape how he talks and acts with others, especially with women. And he continues, he writes this. I have the quote for us on the screen. Go ahead and put that up, Jake. Beneath these different conclusions about harm lie different understandings of the right and wrong way for individuals to relate to community. Next slide. In other words, any decision about what harms others is rooted in specific views about human nature, about happiness, and about right and wrong, each of which is a matter of faith. So even if, even if we all agree that freedom should be curtailed if it harms people, since we can't agree on what harm is, the principle ends up being useless in practice. Where does that leave us? If being true to ourselves is exhausting since we're always changing, we can't agree on one definition of harm, are we really free? You might not be as free as you think you are. We think we're free, but we're addicted to food, sex, our cell phones, video games, Netflix, approval, drugs, porn, Facebook, our kids' schedules. We're alcoholics, shopaholics, workaholics. We have more money than ever and more debt, more time-saving devices, yet we've never been more overwhelmed by our schedules, access to endless streams of humans, and yet so terribly alone. There's an app that lets you find other people to play board games with. Access to an unlimited stream of humans and yet so terribly alone. We have unlimited sexual freedom and yet so much abuse and heartache. We think freedom is doing whatever we want to do. It's not. Look where it's gotten us. True freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do. No, true freedom is doing what you were meant to do being who you were created to be. One of my son Owen's favorite books right now is Global Baby Boys. It's a great children's book. It takes you around the world with pictures of baby boys from different countries, and and it talks about all that, that baby boys are. They're curious, they're smart, they're fun. That's Owen's favorite page. He laughs every time at these boys who are having fun. And the last line in the book, here it is, Baby boys can grow up to do anything. Baby boys can grow up to do anything. I mean, that's it, isn't it? That is our culture's definition of freedom. You are free to grow up and do and be anything that you want to be, but it's just not true. It doesn't work that way. So every time I read it, I change the line. Baby boys can grow up to be exactly who God made them to be. Yeah, I'm a total nerd. (laughs) But we've got to do better. We've got to do better. I'm going to do everything that I can to help my boys avoid the trap of our culture's definition of freedom. 
Because you see, we're a lot like a train on the tracks. Stupid tracks, always telling me what to do, where to go. One day I'll be free. Really? Listen, you may have shrugged off the constraints. You, you may not be on the tracks anymore, but that doesn't mean you're free. It just means you're headed for a crash like this. I, I watch a lot of train shows. Chuggington, Thomas, I can go all day. It's never good when a train derails in those shows. It never ends well. You might not be as free as you think you are. But actually, it gets worse. Because Paul makes this next point abundantly clear. You might not be as free as you think you are, but also, you can't free yourself. You can't free yourself. And, and this point right here is essentially why Paul writes the entire letter. Because the central problem in the church in Galatia was that there was a group of people who were saying this. They were arguing, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. Jesus is great, but he's not enough. To really be saved, to actually get into God's family, to truly experience freedom, you also have to become Jewish. You also have to be circumcised. And it's not just that this teaching was present in the church, it's that this teaching was taking hold. People were agreeing with this teaching and they were acting on it, which means, follow that with me, People who were not Jewish, they so desperately wanted freedom that they were willing to be circumcised to get it. Can you imagine? And even though that sounds completely ridiculous to us, circumcision, well, we would never. We do the same thing in our own way, don't we? We add stuff to Jesus, just a rule here or a rule there. We try to be free by ourselves. We try to earn our way back to God. If I do this or if I have that, then I'll finally be free. Every single one of us, whether we're in the church in Galatia or the church in Brookside, all of us, in some way, some form, are on a self-freedom, self-salvation project. And Paul attacks that self-salvation, self-freedom project the entire letter. He tries to show how bankrupt that road is over and over and over again in Galatians, and he does it here, including in chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. This is what those verses read. Look, I, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Stop there for a second. In our cultural context, we can't understand what a grenade this was, but this was huge. For Paul to be saying this to the audience that he was writing to, for Paul himself to be saying this, a Hebrew of Hebrews if there ever was one, and here he says, look, Paul, I say if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts, accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Don't miss the pun. Paul included it on purpose. You think that you're only cutting off part of your body, but what you're actually doing is cutting yourself off from Jesus. We feel the weight of that with me. For our salvation, for our freedom, if we add anything to Jesus, we cut ourselves off from him and fall away from grace. 
And that's why Paul takes this so seriously. Later on in our passage, down in verse 12, I'm sure you heard Megan read it, he actually says that he wishes those who preach this message of Jesus plus circumcision would actually go all the way and emasculate themselves. I know, I know, but it's there. The Bible's not G-rated. And Paul makes his point with this, doesn't he? It's, it's rhetorically, it's incredibly powerful. He makes his point. You can't save yourself. You can't free yourself. And when you try, you lose everything. And again, we experience this, don't we? I mean, how's your self-freedom project going? How many times have you committed to be better, to do better, to really be free this time, only to fail miserably and go back to your old patterns and your old habits? Do you remember last year's New Year's resolutions? We can't free ourselves. Only Jesus can set you truly free. Only Jesus. But how? How does Jesus set us free? Well, well, verse 5 in our passage reveals the answer. Paul writes this. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Jesus sets us free through the Holy Spirit by faith. Faith is a simple daily trust in Jesus. A simple daily trust in Jesus. And when we surrender and when we trust, we find ourselves free in Jesus. And it positions us in what we might call the already not yet. When we surrender and trust in Jesus, we receive our new lives in him by the power of the Spirit. But it's, it's already we've received it, but it's also not yet because I know in my own life things are still kind of broken, right? It's a house that got torn down and Jesus, through the Spirit, is kind of slowly building it back together. So it puts me in this posture where I'm the, experiencing the rebuilding project already. I can see what's happening. The walls are going up, but it's not yet done. It's not yet done, but I know it will be one day. And so I wait with hope. I wait with hope. I eagerly wait with hope for that project to be finished in me. We eagerly wait with hope the fullness of the righteousness of God, the fullness of of the right way to live. And this posture of hopeful waiting, that's what it is to be a Christian. We are hopefully waiting on God's work to be complete in and through us. This posture of active waiting is so key in our conversation about freedom Because you see, hopeful waiting is a daily choice. It's a daily choice where what we have to do is say no to ourselves and say yes to Jesus. That's how you hopefully wait. You wake up on Monday, you say no to yourself and yes to Jesus. You wake up on Tuesday, you say no to yourself and you say yes to Jesus. That is how we hopefully wait. That's how we live in freedom. You see, because what we discover in Galatians is that true freedom is not the absence of constraints. It's about finding the right constraints. True freedom is not living without a master. That's what our culture says. Oh, you're free when you live without a master, but that's not true freedom. True freedom is living with the right master. In fact, you don't have, you are going to live with a master, You don't have a choice if you get a master. You get a choice what master you get to have. And so life, as it was designed, as it it was meant to work, that's when you find the right master. The right master. Tim Keller, 
Again, he writes this. He says, freedom is not then simply the absence of restrictions, but rather consists of finding the right liberating restrictions. Chew on that, liberating restrictions. But this is why Jesus in Matthew 11 says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And how does he give us rest? He invites us in to his yoke. You're going, why does he invite us into his yoke? This is the symbol of, of oppression and slavery. You have animals that would be tied next to one another. You're like, how does your yoke free us? How, how is a yoke the symbol of freedom? Well, it's because everybody's got a yoke. It's just that Jesus' yoke is better. Everybody has restrictions. It's just that Jesus' restrictions are liberating. This is a paradox. It's something that doesn't sound true, but it is. Liberating restrictions. Put another way, we must actively take tactical freedom losses in order to receive strategic freedom gains. You grow only as you lose some lower kinds of freedom to gain higher kinds. So then there is no absolute negative freedom. That's what our culture says, absolute negative freedom. Philosophers talk about that. It's when there's no constraints at all and you can be quote, free to do whatever you want, but it doesn't exist. It's just another form of slavery. So our daily choice then, our daily choice, how Sunday hits Monday, our daily choice is to be a slave or a servant. You can be a slave to your bank account, to the opinions of others, to your desk, to your screen, to fill in the blank. You can be a slave or you can be a servant of Christ. By choice, we can be servants of Christ. We can live in his yoke with him as our master and teacher. We can live in his kingdom with him as our king. We can live in his kingdom with him as our king under his law. Did you know Jesus has a law? He does. The the, the teacher of the law comes to the great teacher, Jesus, and says, what is the greatest commandment? Summarize the law. And Jesus doesn't say, well, there's no law. Jesus says the greatest law. The great law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, Jesus' law is love. So we can live in his kingdom with him as our king under his law of love. And love is tough, isn't it? Because it's kind of a junk drawer word. We put a lot into that. We only have one word for it. I'm like, man, I love that orange chicken at Panda Express. And then I come home and I'm like... I love you, Ashley. We just try to do a lot with that word. And it really hurts us, doesn't it? So what kind of love? What does it mean that Jesus' law is love? Just look at the cross. That's how you know what kind of love it is. It's sacrificial love. It's love that lays down its life for another. That's the kind of love that rules in Jesus' kingdom. And that's what your freedom is about. Did did you catch that in the song? I'm a son. I'm adopted. My freedom is love. And that's where Paul goes next in Galatians 5. This is the, the final thing he says. Your freedom is about love. Your freedom is about love. Church, don't miss this. You and I, we were made to love. Love is the train tracks that you and I were built for. Love is the sweet spot of life. Love is where we flourish. Love is where we come alive. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither religion or irreligion counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith that works itself out through love. Everything in our culture says that your freedom is about you. Our culture says you do you. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Pursue freedom for you and your purposes. But it's not working. It's a completely bankrupt system. There has to be a better way, and there is. The Jesus way. The Jesus way that says that freedom is about others. Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use it for yourself. Your freedom's not for you. But instead, use your freedom through love and through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, our freedom in Christ is actually about loving as Jesus loved, forgiving as he forgave, giving because you have received from him. Our freedom as Christ is about sacrificing and taking second because he laid down his life for you. Church, as servants of Christ, you are free to love fully and completely. And just, just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine our workplaces. Imagine our schools. Imagine politics. Imagine social media. Imagine our homes. Imagine our dinner tables. Imagine our marriages. If all of us every day embrace the freedom that we have, not for ourselves, but for love for others. Imagine. I wonder, did anyone else get up at 4 a.m. yesterday to take in the royal wedding? Was that just my wife? I joined her at 6.30, and I caught a bit of the Reverend Michael Curry's sermon, which was a really good sermon. The New York Times even ran a full ran the full sermon. They ran the whole thing, the full sermon, in an article, and the the beginning of the article suggested that the sermon was the surprise star of the ceremony. How about that for sermons? (laughs) Making a comeback. Oprah was at that. But no, no, not Oprah. The sermon was the surprise star. I was like, all right. It's a moment to feel good as a preacher. It's like, and what was his sermon about? Why has it captured our attention for like 24 hours? Well, his sermon was about the transformative power of love. The transformative power of love. Here's just a snippet of what he said. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is the way. When love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive. Imagine. Imagine indeed freedom through faith that expresses itself in love that changes the world. But it's all too easy to go the other way, isn't it? And this is what Paul warns the Galatians of in verse 15, the the last verse in our passage. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We can love each other or we can consume each other. And we see people consumed by others all the time, don't we? Every injustice, every sex scandal, so much harm done in the name of, quote, freedom. The way we talk to one another, the way we interact on social media, we are consumers. 
and not just of products, but all too often we are consumers of each other. But what if there was a better way? What if there was a better freedom, a higher freedom, where for the sake of love of others, we say no to ourselves, not because we have to, but because we're free to. It's the difference between Winky and Dobby. You with me? No? Okay, I'll explain. Winky and Dobby are characters from Harry Potter. They're house elves. And you see, house elves are slaves by birth. But both Winky and Dobby are given their freedom in the course of the story. And yet Winky hates it. She doesn't know what to do with it. She believes that she's lost her purpose, and so she spends her life drinking in laziness and despair. She exploits her freedom and yet resents it at the same time. And you feel so sad for her. She's such a tragic character. But Dobby, I mean, don't you love Dobby? He's arguably the best character of the entire series. You see, Dobby was a slave to a wicked master, mistreated, abused, despised. But Harry Potter figured out a way to set him free. And what does Dobby do? He bursts with joy, with hope, with love, and he serves Harry Potter, not because he has to, but because he can't imagine doing anything else. He loves Harry. He trusts him. And there is nothing that Dobby wouldn't do for him because he's free. He's free to love, to serve, and, and to save. And that's where Dobby's story arc ends. It's this fantastic scene in book seven. Dobby shows up in the 11th hour to save the day. And this line, his line, it's the climax of the scene. Dobby is a free elf. Dobby is a free elf. And Dobby has come to save Harry Potter and his friends. And it costs him his life. Hashtag spoiler alert. The book's been out for 15 years. So I don't know what to tell you guys. It costs him his life. Dobby dies in that scene. They, they bury him. Here lies Dobby, a free elf. But he dies spending his freedom in loving service of others, which sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And no one was freer than Jesus. Jesus, who was God himself, because who is freer than God? No one. But Jesus, in love, spent his freedom for you, for me, to set us free. And now the question for us this morning is, how will you spend your freedom? Will your freedom be for you, or, or will it be for others? Are you a Dobby, or are you a Winky? A question I never thought I'd ask in a sermon. Are you a slave to yourself, or are you a servant of Christ? How will you spend your freedom? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, death, literally death, was arrested, and that your grace was given the full highway to run free, and that it could wash over us, Lord, freeing us. Thank you for your freedom, Lord, that, that led to our freedom. May we not besmirch our freedom, Lord. May we not hoard it, but may we use our freedom for love to love you and love others. We can't do that on our own, Lord. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And that's all that next week's sermon is about. So thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who by him we have our freedom.
Amen.